to us this day from the first gospel or Matthew chapter 22, one of the parables of Jesus. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent a slave saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main street and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the street and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest... He noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. He said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? The man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you're seated, we invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. It is Highland's great joy to be able to uh, welcome Angel Pittman to our pulpit. Angel is known to our youth. They, she, they, they have worked with her at Touching Miami with Love and will return there again this summer. She and her husband Jason have been there since 2002. They are field personnel Uh, for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, our group, our denomination, doing the work of love in a part of Miami, Florida that you will hear more about. Angel's a Baylor graduate and uh, mother of two. Uh, She comes uh, with a conviction in her heart and a call for you and me, so we welcome her gladly. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts here together be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You never know the difference a weekend will make. As a junior in college, my boyfriend of two months invited me to take part in an experiential learning course as part of one of his college classes. So, of course, he said he was going away for the weekend, and I said, I'll go. We had both shared that we had an interest in working with hurting populations, me as an education major, and he as a psychology and sociology major. But to be perfectly honest with you, from our viewpoint as upper-middle-class kids attending a pricey private university in the middle of the Bible Belt, we didn't have a clue what we were talking about. But during that weekend our lives were changed. We literally simulated what it would be like to live in poverty. 
We traded in our preppy clothes, and don't judge me, it was the early 90s. And instead, we took on thrift store cast-offs. We took our jewelry, our watches, and anything else that might brand us as rich white kids and exchanged it for a weekend of living among the poor. We slept outside, we ate when we could as we budgeted our play money that we were allotted, and we completed a series of tasks. We dug in dumpsters, we begged for money, and we befriended a homeless schizophrenic that would be our friend for many, many years to come. And in that time of crazy, ugly dirtiness, we saw a glimpse into the kingdom. I married that guy, and we haven't looked back since. You know, this idea of the kingdom of God is mentioned 119 times in the New Testament, and I have an interest in seeing how many times phrases or themes in the Bible come up. And when I saw 119 times, it made me think, there's something about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that he wants us to understand. And as you heard in the reading of the parable, it's confusing. And so uh, we know that the kingdom of heaven is typically described as wherever the reign of God is. And so in one sense, the kingdom of God has always existed. But in another way, it was manifested in the coming of Christ. The message of the kingdom of God was preached by Jesus, as we heard in the parable of the wedding banquet. And I love how when the king hears that those who are invited decide not to come, he doesn't cancel the banquet. Instead, picking up in verse 8, he says, The wedding banquet was ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So, he tells his servants, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. And so the servants went out and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And we know not all of them chose that fullness. But my husband and I, as Cooperative Baptist field personnel, have the joy of inviting people to the banquet of God. And we've been inviting folks to explore what this upside-down kingdom is about, as we've served first in the inner city in Texas, and then in Detroit, and now in Miami. Through our placement as directors of Touching Miami with Love, we get to see kingdom work up close. And there are certainly the bad as well as the good in our inner city neighborhood of Overtown. And if you will, allow me to share a little bit about the history of our community for those of you who have not yet been to visit us. Our neighborhood was originally called Colored Town. It was the segregated area for blacks coming to work on the railroads. And within our 20-square-block radius, it was the only place they were allowed to live. But we sit just outside of downtown, literally right over the railroad tracks. And so the neighborhood changed the name from Colored Town to Overtown. It was once a bustling neighborhood with 318 businesses and 40,000 residents crammed in that little spot. But during the 1950s, as the city was expanding and the Port of Miami was coming to uh, be a bigger presence in that eastern seaboard, the decision was made that the well-being of Overtown was subordinate to the city's expansion. And so I-95 was literally cut right through the heart of our community. And the um, perpendicular highway further dissected it. 
And so literally overnight, our community changed. We went from 40,000 residents down to now about 10,000. And we experienced a brain drain as those who owned homes or had means left to go to other areas that were opening up. And so now our community has most residents living in poverty. The average income for an Overtown resident is about $13,000 a year. And just to give you perspective, in 2012, the federal government said that if you were a family of four, you were poor if you made less than $23,000. And so we serve among the poorest of the poor in our community. About 65% of our families are female-headed households. We have a lot of grandparents raising grandkids. And with that kind of craziness of dads coming in and out of the picture, there's a lot of family dysfunction. There is teen pregnancy, a lack of quality education, crime, and a whole lot of violence. And so our community is most often cited as the poorest in Florida and one of the most violent in the nation. But... Hope is not lost, for as you know in the communities that you serve, that we rejoice that we serve a God who brought his kingdom, uh, his message of the kingdom of God in person through his son. In John 1.14 it says, The word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. But we like the way that the message version says. It says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That kind of God with us, up close, in the hurting places, has really been a call for us. When my husband and I discovered that verse, we really, it really laid hold of our hearts, and we claim it as a practical example for what God has called us to do. As we say that we wanted to live our life in Christ's footsteps, we wanted to be a part of this upside-down kingdom, we too moved into the neighborhood. And so, as Joe mentioned, we've raised our two boys, Isaac, age 14, and Lucas, age 9, in what we call the crazy beautiful. Because indeed, as two white college-educated folks living in the middle of the inner city, it's crazy. But from that vantage point, we're able to see the beautiful. You've heard a bit about our neighborhood. Carol Harston did a beautiful reflection uh, after our tour And your youth got to experience a bit of it themselves when they came down and served with us in summer camp. And it's our hope that as folks come and experience a little bit of our crazy beautiful, that they become ruined. Ruined like we were almost 20 years ago in our poverty simulation weekend. Ruined to never look at their lives in the same way. Your youth got to see folks growing up with a different sense of reality. And it's our hope that when they go back, they can't look at hurting folks and their lives devoid of some of the pain and struggle in the same way. And so just like what happened to us 20 years ago, we hope that whether or not they're called to a life of missions, they're called to a life that's missional, that's acting out of an understanding of what the upside-down kingdom is. This act of being ruined is what God continues to allow us to be a part of. So not only do we get to see the lives of the children and youth being transformed, we also have a beautiful vantage point to see youth come and be ruined as well. 
Jesus teaches us how to pray in Matthew 6.10 in the Lord's Prayer, and he says that we are to ask that the kingdom come to this earth and that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we know that part of this kingdom of God mystery is that it's here, but it's not yet. And so as we live in the now, waiting for Jesus' return, waiting for the fullness of that kingdom to take root, we go through pain and frustration. We see folks living in sin, we see folks making bad choices, and we beat our heads against inequities at every corner. We've attended the funerals of far too many young men whose lives have been cut short by gun violence, And we've sat in many a dark, cramped living room trying to explain to grandmothers and mothers how their son and daughter's lives could be killed over a birthday party or a fight over a girl. We screamed in frustration when one of our own youth chose not to come back in our program and choosing instead to join a gang only to survive two months before he too was shot and killed. And we've called Child Protective Services for abuse and neglect more times than we care to take count. Ours is a rough neighborhood, to be sure. And yet, as you drive around the Section 8 apartments, the littered streets, the housing projects, you'll come around our little stake in the ground. You'll see painted artistically on our north wall facing the housing projects, 100 feet long and 17 feet high, love. We intentionally chose that placement and design because we wanted to declare to the neighborhood, this is a place of love. This would be an oasis of hope for our community. And when you come inside TML, you'll see God moving and working and lives being impacted. And you'll see glimpses of the kingdom. Eighty children are throughout our building on any afternoon taking part in our after-school programs. They're sitting around literacy books with our instructor, who is a certified teacher. They're involved in enrichment activities. This year we focused all on STEAM, science, technology, engineering, the arts, mathematics. Our staff will share the verse of the month and, more importantly, put that verse into practical ways for them to understand how the Bible can relate to their lives. Our kids will be lining up for fitness to take part in uh, volleyball, tennis, lacrosse, football, dance. And you get to see little glimpses of the kingdom. Our social social skills materials will all be gathered up and the kids will join in once a week to hear about how to respond to conflict, how to control their anger, things that often are not taught in their homes or are polar opposite to what is taught in the homes, but we know can save their lives on the streets by being able to de-escalate some of the violence around them. And if you stick around after our bus has taken our K-8 through graders home, you'll see the high schoolers start to pour into our building. One of the first questions they always ask is, what's for dinner? Because years ago, my husband got tired of hearing about how important the family dinner hour was. And he said, after he heard the last NPR story on it, he said, I'm so tired of this. He said, all the middle-class white kids are hearing that they need to go sit home at dinner. And he says, who's sitting home waiting for our kids? 
And he said, our kids don't even have a table. And if they have a table, by the end of the month, they don't have any food. And so he turned to me, we're riding in the car, and he says, we're making dinner. So two years ago, without a plan, but just a call, that that was important, we began serving a full sit-down meal every evening before our programs. And through that time of sharing, not only do they get a healthy meal, they get folks to talk about their day and invest in them. And so on Mondays, our high schoolers after dinner are involved in creative arts, dance, drama, painting, photography, graphic design. On Tuesdays, they're at my house sharing dinner with my family and then making jewelry as we've started a little jewelry enterprise to help them not only gain skills and confidence, but money. And then on Wednesdays, they're back at the building separating off into their Bible study groups. And on Thursdays, they're dedicating an entire night to social skills to learn those kind of skills we talked about that are so important to the children, but even more important to our youth. We take seriously this call of Jesus about letting his kingdom love shine through. And even though our parents thought that it was just a fun phase we were going through out of college, we let them know that it wasn't just a phase, that this is what God had called us to do, that it was crazy, but that it was also very beautiful. And we get to see beautiful moments, like for one of our students, Kristen. Kristen's been coming for a couple years to TML, and when she first came, she was so, so very hardened. She had dealt with a grandmother who was in and out of jail for drug possession and uh, selling out of their home, a mom who would be gone for weeks at a time, and her exterior was so tough, and we were sure that we just couldn't break through. But we were delighted when just this last fall, our uh, staff was called in for a parent-teacher conference at the school, and it's interesting to note that our staff are more often called for parent-teacher conferences than our parents ever are because they know that we'll come and they know that we'll advocate for the kids and they know that we will follow up with them. And so he called our staff in and as he shared, he said that he noticed, now he had had the opportunity to have Kristen in his class both in fourth grade and in fifth grade. And as he walked in and our staff braced for, what did Kristen do now? He said, I wish all of my students could go to TML. And he rattled off the things that he had been seeing in her life and the difference it was making and the glimpses of the kingdom that we knew were not just our work, but was God at work in her life. And we saw that also with Isaac. Isaac is a staff member with us who came to us as a small boy and sort of followed through our program, and then in middle school dropped out for a bit. And I believe that the Lord called his heart back to touching Miami with love because it wasn't but a few months later that his oldest brother was shot and killed in Overtown. And he went into a tailspin, not sure what to do, but it was our staff who were there to kind of hold him and his family together. And he became involved in our programs and had a solid foundation, which helped him when in the beginning of his senior year, his second oldest brother was also shot and killed. 
And Isaac thought for a minute and expressed to us that he said, what's the point? I'm going to end up the same way. There's no future for me. And then he stopped in the conversation. As he came to, he said, but what about my mom? I don't want my mom to have to go through this. And so not even really recognizing that he himself had a hope and a future, but just worried about the well-being of his mom, possibly having to go through that a third time, he renewed his commitment to our ministry. He plugged into everything. And he joined us as we take kids to camp every spring to a camp in Central Florida specifically designed for urban youth called Camp Oasis. And it was there at that camp that he, like so many youth before him, dedicated his life to the Lord and caught a glimpse of what God imagined for his future. He served as a junior intern with us and just soaked in all that we had to share and is now our football coach, having completed or just about to complete his second full year of ministry with us. And that's really what we desire to do, to have folks not only join us by hearing the call and moving into the neighborhood, but also rising up those leaders from within our neighborhood who hear that call and who say, I'm ready. Stories like Krista and Isaac and so many others remind me that our story is really your story too. Because as part of this larger global cooperative Baptist fellowship, your gifts make our work possible. And so we are so excited that we have the opportunity to invest back in your youth as they come for a summer or a student.go position, but that they get that opportunity to see more and more of the kingdom. And part of uh, the joy of being connected through the CBF program is getting to see that it's not just the lives of our children and youth that are impacted, but those that come to serve. And it's always funny to us when new kids uh, join our program, because it's a year-long program, so this summer is often the first entry point for new kids. And they get to hear, as the mission teams come and share about the Bible, they want the attention of the mission teams, too. And so they quickly figure out that this Jesus guy is sort of the key to attention. And so they say, when the mission teams come in with their Bible stories and say, who's that little baby floating down the river in a basket? It's the newbies. Jesus! And then we say, well, who is that man who is blinded on the road to Damascus? Jesus! And as they laugh and bond and share the truth about the stories, these amazing children help teams realize that there is a glimpse a glimpse into a radical, life-giving service to those in need. We find that as we continue to do it, those glimpses get more and more and break through into the darkness. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful that through the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, you have allowed us to live out our call. Lord, I thank you for this church and the folks within this church who are living out that call in Shelby Park as student.go missionaries all over the world. Lord, I thank you for this congregation and their missional hearts that help support these ministries. 
Lord, I thank you for your kingdom and for your plan, allowing us to be a part of it. In your son's name, amen.